Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, earlier this week, we discussed the so-called gateway vision for future growth in the city, but are we starting from a good place to begin with? The newly updated AARP Livability Index has the answer. Also this morning, normally we wouldn't pay much attention to midterm primaries in other states, but with control of Congress hanging in the balance, politicos are watching what's happening around the country even more closely than usual. And the organization Stand Up to Cancer and longstanding partner MasterCard are making it easier for all of us to join the fight with the purchases we make nearly every day. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, May 19th, 2022. going to be an absolutely gorgeous day today and uh, tomorrow and Saturday temperatures back up into the 80s today pushing 90 as we head into the weekend a great day today for May Ray Day May Ray Day it is a day for getting outside and soaking up the sun's rays at a time when it is starting to warm up pretty nicely but generally not yet so scorching hot that you can't bear to be outside. And that, I think, has been true, even though we've had some very hot days around these parts in the month of May. We haven't had the oppressive humidity that makes it just absolutely unbearable to be outdoors. So maybe a little bit more humidity this weekend, but uh, or you know the tail end of this week, as we have the uh, possibility of showers in the forecast and maybe some rumbles of thunder as well. But still, Bay Ray Day. Get out and enjoy the uh, warm weather today. It is also Boys Club Day, National Hepatitis Testing Day. Celebrate your elected officials day. <laughs> uh, did, what does it say about the uh, state of American politics that that makes me laugh? <laughs> Celebrate your elected officials day. National Devil's Food Cake Day. Take your elected officials some devil's devil's food cake. Uh, Subliminal message there? I don't know. Accounting Day. It is Brown Baggot Thursday. Hummus Day. National Notebook Day. And World Family Doctor Day. So reasons to celebrate today. I was going to mention this uh, actually yesterday and because we were talking about uh, travel. And uh, uh, all of that the past uh, couple of days. And I was going to mention this yesterday on the program, and I could not lay my hands on uh, on the piece. Uh, I had it in my stack, and I couldn't find it. Uh, so I found it, and I want to mention it as kind of a follow-up to uh, travel and so on, because we're coming up on travel season. Uh, Good Housekeeping Magazine has named the Louisville Slugger Museum as the top factory tour in the country. If you're looking for something to do this summer, uh, the Louisville Slugger Museum, Louisville, Kentucky, where they make the baseball bats, the Louisville Slugger, it is, according to Good Housekeeping, the top factory tour in the country. Uh, The Pez Factory in Connecticut, the Jelly Belly Factory in California, the Coca-Cola Tour in Atlanta, the Warner Brothers Studio Tour in Los Angeles, the Ben and Jerry's Experience in Vermont, and the Henry Ford Auto Tour in Dearborn, Michigan, uh, round out the rest of the top, um, what is that, top 10, top 8, whatever. Uh, those are the best places to go. So if you're looking for a an experience, those are some of the ones that you might want to look to first if you need some ideas. Uh, They say not every destination is fully up and running at 100% capacity post-COVID, but those are the uh, best tours, the best, uh, I guess, family attractions in the country. So, a little, uh, some fun, a little educational and and all of that. So, I did want to mention that because, again, we were talking about travel yesterday and, uh, destinations and and all of that so i wanted to make sure that i mentioned it so follow up on that uh let's see here this is the uh, time of the year when uh the geese are everywhere in the uh, state of ohio uh if you want to keep geese off of your property the ohio division of wildlife says the best method of doing so 
is by chasing them. <laughs> I know that almost sounds uh, rather, you know, kind of duh. Of course, you chase them off your uh, property. But actually, uh, they say if done correctly and at the proper time of year, chasing the geese off of your property can actually be a very effective management tool uh, to keep them from coming back. Chasing the geese makes them feel uncomfortable on your property, and when coupled with other harassment techniques, you could, that can give you the most bang for your buck. Uh, the Ohio Division of Wildlife with this uh, advice. They say you need to start chasing them off your property early in the spring, go out four or five times per day to drive the geese away before they start nesting. And the, 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 the bad news is that they're nesting right now. So the most effective window is actually in February and March. Um, they say you should know that if the geese have started nesting, the chasing method will yield no results. Uh, from April through June, the Ohio Division of Wildlife does not recommend chasing and instead just steer, steer clear because they're protecting their nests and they're going to be more aggressive. Other methods of geese removal include using lasers. <laughs> I'm assuming not like laser guns to blast them, but laser lights to kind of annoy them. And, and uh, noise deterrence will also work well. But right now, they're nesting. So I just thought that was kind of interesting <laughs> from the Ohio Division of Wildlife. You chase the geese and they start to associate your property with uh, being chased away and being annoyed, and they will avoid your property. So when you first start seeing the geese, you chase them off. Because, man, those things can be annoying. If they start nesting on your property, well, forget about it. Anyway, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, speaking of uh, travel, we were talking about that just a moment ago. Uh are you going to a wedding? Have you been invited to a wedding this year? Chances are good you have. Uh, Credit Karma reports that more than 2.6 million couples are planning to say, I do this year. The pandemic caused many people to postpone their nuptials, and uh, they're making up for lost time in 2022. 73% of people planning to attend weddings in 2022 say that inflation will negatively impact whether or not they can attend. This, I thought, was interesting. And the reason I bring this up is not uh, the, the report is not focused so much on the people who are having the weddings, but rather the people who are attending them. The online wedding registry Zola, uh, wedding planner and retailer, says wedding guests are generally expected to spend 50 to $100 on a wedding gift, depending on the relationship that you have with the happy couple. But if it's one of your best friends or someone in your immediate family, uh, you should go even further than that uh, with a gift of around $100 to $150. You could consider saving money on any wedding gift by going in with some friends on a big gift from the couple's registry and make it a group gift. Uh, but don't forget... If you have been invited to spend to uh, to attend a wedding this year, you also need to budget uh, on your uh, on the cost of traveling to the wedding, on the cost of your wedding guest outfit. Overall, they say the average wedding guest. You ready for this? The average wedding guest can expect to spend about one thousand four dollars per wedding this year. $1,004. I don't know if I'm necessarily buying that. If you're going to one wedding, it may be $1,000. If you're going to multiple weddings, wouldn't you wear the same outfit to multiple weddings, especially if it's people who don't know each other, that you're the only common denominator, you're the one of the few people who will be at wedding A and wedding B. You can certainly wear the same outfit. You don't have to buy two New outfits, so that would cut down on the cost a little bit, but still, $1,000 per just to be a wedding guest. My wife and I have a wedding to go to this year, and it is one where you have to travel destination weddings and weddings outside of uh, the local area are becoming very popular. So yeah, $1,000 
uh, on a, a wedding. But again, if you're going out of town, you got hotel and uh, things like meals and and that to uh, factor in as well. So yeah, I can believe it. A thousand bucks a pop for just being a guest at a wedding. It's getting very expensive. That is when you know you are adulting, when you finally get hitched, right? A recent survey of 2,000 Americans found that adulting is more about actions than age. But that being said, 53% say they felt like they were an adult when they hit the age of 18. However, others said it took until around the age of 29 for adulthood to truly sink in. That might be one of the reasons why two-thirds of those in this poll believe that 18 is just an arbitrary age at which to consider someone adult, uh, in which to consider someone an adult. 59% still don't always feel like an adult, even today. And 79% of respondents agree being an adult is more about actions uh, than age. But I thought that was kind of interesting. When are you an adult? When adulting is hard, when do you feel like an adult? 18 or uh, some other time later in life? Kind of interesting. Uh, Here is something to uh, worry about. We always have something to uh, worry about here. It is uh, not COVID now. It is monkeypox. You heard uh, about this. Monkeypox has found its way to the U.S. The Massachusetts Department of Public Health and the CDC have confirmed the first known case in the U.S. this year. On Tuesday, it's a man in Massachusetts with a virus who recently traveled to Canada. Health officials say he is hospitalized, but in good condition. This comes after several rare and unusual monkeypox cases have been detected globally, particularly in the UK. Monkeypox symptoms include fever, headache, fatigue, and muscle aches. So there you go. Something new to worry about. Always have something to uh, worry about if it's not covid Got to be something. And this day's news of most lasting significance could be this. Scientists have found ice near the poles of the moon, and they say it could be drinkable. They believe it developed from water spews that came from volcanic eruptions on the moon billions of years ago. But rather than turning into gas and escaping the atmosphere of the moon into space, it turned into ice uh, beneath the moon's lunar dust, which trapped it there. They believe that the ice could provide water to future moon explorers and colonists and could also be processed into rocket fuel. Pretty amazing stuff there. Now you know. So that is uh, that is big news. Water on the moon. There you go. Uh, some of the uh, most interesting and uh, buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Skies will become mostly sunny today with a high of 81. Partly cloudy tonight with a low in the mid-60s. The Vostoria Police Division says a juvenile crashed a car that was stolen from Finley into a reservoir in Fostoria as he was fleeing from police. An officer tried to stop the vehicle after watching it run a stop sign. While searching for the vehicle, police learned that the driver had lost control and drove into Reservoir 2. Police say the 15-year-old driver was able to get out of the vehicle and ran from the scene and was apprehended by police. He's facing charges of theft of a motor vehicle and failure to comply. Police in Toledo are concerned about how many youth are getting involved in gangs and the difficulties they face in staying away from them. Sergeant Setura with TPD's gang unit says he's seen firsthand it starts at home with parents looking the other way or even encouraging crime. And when we tell them, hey, we caught them with a gun, they were shooting at somebody. Again, the accountability with some, with some parents is just, they want to be more friendly with their kids as opposed to a parent. And Sergeant Satura says for the parents who try to steer their kids in the opposite direction, it's an uphill battle with the kids surrounding influences telling them there's respect and money to be earned from gang life. That's WTOL 11's Michael Sandlin reporting. Blanchard Valley Center is in the process of updating its strategic plan and it's inviting people to share their ideas about making the center the best it can be for people in Hancock County with developmental disabilities. 
We are looking to gather opinions, concerns, and expectations as part of the review. Community members are invited to participate in a stakeholder session in our training center here at Blanchard Valley Center. As Blanchard Valley Center's Nadine Weininger mentioned, the community is invited to participate in one of the stakeholder sessions that will be held next week. People unable to attend one of the sessions can still share their thoughts by contacting Blanchard Valley Center, and we have their contact information on the website. Ohio State head football coach Ryan Day is getting a contract extension and a raise. The deal increases Day's pay from over $7.5 million a year up to about $9.5 million. Coach Day will be under contract through the 2028 season. Remember, you can always get more news online at WFIN.com. We were just talking earlier this week about future development that's beginning to take shape on the north end of the city as part of the so-called gateway vision for the area and how all of this works in synergy to make our community a place where people want to live and work. But as we look into the future, are we starting at a good place to begin with? To help provide a clear picture of how well communities meet the needs of people of all incomes, physical abilities, ages, ethnicities, and so on, AARP's Public Policy Institute has launched an updated AARP Livability Index. And joining us is Rodney Harrell, uh, AARP Vice President of Family, Home, and Community. Rodney, first off, talk a little bit about what the Livability Index is and why it was created. What's the idea behind this here? The Livability Index is an online tool that scores every neighborhood and community across all 50 states on the services and amenities that affect people's lives the most. We created it because we know from our research that most people, especially older adults, want to stay in their homes and communities for as long as they can. However, we know that communities have uh, benefits and, importantly, challenges that can prevent people from doing that and thriving in their communities. And so we need to look at things like uh, walkable neighborhoods, transportation options, opportunities to engage in their communities and, and housing that's adaptable and affordable. The idea being that you need options in your community if your circumstances are to change. And uh, so we graded the index to provide a clear picture of how well a community meets one's needs across their lifespan and really to encourage residents and local leaders to take action to make their uh, communities better for people, again, of all ages, incomes, etc. So you have literally dozens of metrics, I think 61 in all, that you group into seven different categories, housing, neighborhood, transportation, environment, health, engagement, and opportunity. What is the significance of those of those categories, and what do the scores in those categories ultimately tell us about a community's livability? That's right. So each of those scores, I like to think of as an index in and of itself. For example, the housing category tells us about the options in housing, how affordable that housing is, um, et cetera. And so uh, we can't look at that in isolation, though, because if you just look at housing costs, uh, you don't pay attention to where that housing is located. So we have a neighborhood category that looks at how close things are, mm-hmm. uh, our transportation, look at the transportation options, environment, et cetera. And the idea is that we take those seven stories, those seven narratives about communities, and we put it together in uh, category scores. We can uh, measure communities from zero to 100, but also combine them all into an overall score to give you a snapshot of a community at that high level. Uh, but by the way, I should mention that we also measure at the neighborhood level, which allows you to look on one side of town versus another. Well, you really do a deep dive uh, into the numbers uh, here. And by the way, this is not subjective. This is objective data that is called from, uh, again, literally dozens of sources. That's right. We have about 50 or so data sources, the most reputable sources that we could find in the country. And frankly, most of them are data sources that uh, anyone could find if they took the hours to scour the Internet to find them. Yeah. And our hope was that by pulling it into one easy-to-access index, you could whether you had five seconds or five minutes or or five hours, you could uh, go as deep as you'd like. Well, as you mentioned, obviously you can dig down as deep as you like into this uh, by uh, state, by region, by an individual community, even down uh, to the neighborhood level. But in general, just as a uh, kind of a basic overview, how does our community score then on the 2022 AARP Livability Index? Where uh, are we as a starting point? Well, let's look at Finley, which has a livability score of 60. Uh, by the way, our scores are on a scale of 0 to 100. So anything above a 50 is in the top half of communities. And that 60 for Finley is pretty high. 
so I'll just give a couple of highlights about why uh, you get that score. First, the housing costs are lower than uh, most communities across the country, and there's many opportunities uh, for civic, social, and religious engagement, for example. On the challenge side, workers' commutes are longer, but there are fewer jobs instantly that are easily accessible by car. You have to travel more to get to things, and that can be uh, troublesome if you have transportation challenges. And also the crime rate is higher than the national average, which, hmm. uh, as we've learned, you know, almost uh, the, one of the biggest challenges to livability is that if people don't feel safe in a community, it almost doesn't matter what the other characteristics are. Yeah. And so the idea is that we want to highlight some of those challenges and those benefits so that uh, whether you're a person looking for a home or a neighborhood, you could uh, understand what some of those benefits and challenges are. Or if you're a community leader or someone trying to influence them, uh, you can understand uh, the kind of areas for uh, improvement. Yeah, and I want to ask you about that because I, I think that some of those numbers might come as a surprise to someone. I mean, you know, for those of us who are here all the time and we, uh, you know, kind of take things uh, for granted, we may not see that uh, forest for the trees. We have that uh, that tunnel vision, if you will. So how uh, does this data, when you look back and, and see these things objectively, how does this data or how can it be used to help uh, individuals in their communities and particularly local leaders uh, improve their communities moving forward. Well, I love your analogy of seeing the forest for the trees because that's exactly what we're trying to do with the index, create a forest of information that uh, helps you understand what's going on. And so I view this as a even measuring stick across the country that, uh, you know, the data sources we have will look at your community the same way as the one across the river or across the country. And you can sit and look at whether uh, how we match up uh, and by the way, the same kind of process can happen within the town, the east side and west side of town. Right. And so that's the real way to analyze kind of where these benefits and challenges and uh, why is our housing different than that community? Why is uh, our, our safety different here than there? And let's explore those issues and maybe improve those challenges so that uh, people are uh, – living better lives here does does this um does this provide a level playing field uh with communities of different sizes i mean you know in northwest ohio we everything have everything from you know major metropolitan areas to micropolitan areas to uh rural uh communities uh, it, are they all measured the same way is it fair to compare all of them uh with the with the same measuring stick that's a great question and so uh, what we'll do is what we do is when we're measuring the top scores, for example, we'll group communities together by size. It's not really fair to uh, compare a, a community, uh, say Los Angeles, with uh, thousands, hundreds of neighborhoods, right? Say, uh, with a community that may only have one or two neighborhoods, and that's why it's important to have uh, the index at the neighborhood level because you can compare a neighborhood to a neighborhood across the country. Uh, but uh, when we do our top ten list we separate them out by community size. So you're not comparing apples and oranges in terms yeah. of uh, the size of neighborhoods and size of communities, I should say. By the way, this is not just theoretical. This is uh, tangible data that is uh, actually being put to use right now. For example, you have a collaboration between AARP and the National Association of Realtors where they are using this index to help homebuyers make housing decisions based on their needs. So this is being put to use right now. Well, I'm very excited about how the index has grown in use from when we invented it in 2015 until today. And you point out the realtors, uh, rightly so, because uh, yeah, we're able to help millions of realtors and their clients provide the information, uh, just as you'd note, that uh, will help you make a better housing choice. Whether, again, you look at just that service level, the scores, or you decide to dive in and go deeper, you're able to now look at the livability index scores alongside the things that realtors have always uh, given yeah. for home buyers. And the idea is, it's, it should help you. Again, no matter how deep you get, it should help you make a better decision about whether this neighborhood will work for you, uh, not just today, but tomorrow as well. Yeah, again, uh, the, I think the most interesting to me is, again, as we frame a conversation talking about uh, economic development and the direction of the community in the future, uh, it, it really is important to take a step back and see where we are right now and, and if we are uh, starting uh, from a good point uh in the here and now, in the present uh, day. Uh, Rodney Harrell, again, is uh, AARP Vice President of Family, Home, and Community, talking about the AARP Livability Index, which was recently updated. And where do folks, as you mentioned, it's a web-based uh, tool that folks can go and uh, uh, dig as deep as they want on the numbers. Where do we find that? So you can go to www.aarp.org slash livability index, 
and find your community score or the score for any community or neighborhood across the country. Rodney, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Turning our attention now to uh, the politics of the week. Now, normally, we preface this as saying normally we would not pay much attention to the primary races ahead of midterm elections in states other than Ohio. In fact, I can't remember the last time we spent any time on this subject, but with the majority of control, uh, with majority control of Congress at stake and such a razor thin margin as it sits right now. And, of course, coming off all of the drama surrounding the last presidential election, to say nothing about the state of the country at the moment and the challenges that the next Congress will no doubt inherit, every race takes on added significance and commands attention. Alan Sanders has been with us before. He is a former Time Magazine senior reporter and professor emeritus of political science at St. Peter's University in Jersey City, New Jersey, with us to kind of break down the races this week. And uh, Alan, first of all, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. Uh, obviously, there were uh, some some big primaries uh, earlier this week, a number of fascinating storylines out of those. So I'm going to throw this to you. What among those was the most intriguing or the most compelling in your mind? Well, the most interesting, uh, good morning. The most interesting, uh, one was in Pennsylvania. Uh, it's, uh, you know, Pennsylvania is a swing state. Right. Uh, and, uh, an important one, uh, and, uh, counts uh, heavily in the, uh, electric college. Uh, and so the races there were quite interesting. Uh, what we had, uh, was, uh, Donald Trump having a huge influence. Now, he, um, got his, uh, candidate, Doug Mastriano, uh, nominated in the Republican primary. Uh, and so that was an important, uh, win for him. Although Although there are many people who said that Mastriano would have won uh, regardless of the Trump endorsement, mm-hmm. but Doug Mastriano is an election denier, and so he's quite uh, extreme. He's viewed as quite extreme in many circles, and so that was important because if she, if he should win the uh, governorship, uh, he would be in control of uh, the electoral system of uh, a, a very yeah. important state in twenty uh, twenty. Uh, Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, that Senate race in Pennsylvania is also critical because it's now uh, very close and it's very hard to determine who will be uh, winning that. It's a razor-thin margin by uh, Dr. Oz, but it's so thin that uh, no winner has been officially uh, right. announced. And what's interesting there is that Donald Trump is claiming electoral fraud, just like as he did well, that, in the uh, 2020 election. Yeah, I thought uh, that was weird. That was uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask about with respect to that. Uh, Ms. Trump suggested yesterday that Dr. Oz should go ahead and declare victory uh, without waiting for the final count uh, to be completed, saying it would quote, make it harder for them to cheat, unquote, uh, although he didn't say what them he was referring to. Uh, are we in for, it brings up a uh, larger question, especially in Pennsylvania, both in the Senate race and, as you mentioned, the governor's race, are we in for a repeat of the election integrity claim if the quote-unquote right people don't win uh, in uh, the primaries ultimately or in November? Yeah, well, I think so. I think we're in it right now. Uh, Donald Trump has made that uh, uh, cause celebra uh, for himself, but now also in Pennsylvania. What's uh, uh, crazy about this is that, of course, there's no evidence of whatever he's saying. Right. But secondly, if there was electoral fraud, uh, what about Doug Mastriano? He ran the same election at the same time using the same ballots mm-hmm. and the same process. So right. it makes absolutely no sense. There's no evidence, and it's absolutely nonsensical. Uh, you know, the candidate you love won fairly, but the candidate you don't like, um, you know, won unfairly. Uh, there's no there's no sense to it. Yeah. It's uh, simply um, uh, mythical. There were uh, also a couple of races in which the Trump-backed candidate uh, did not win. In Idaho, uh, the uh, candidate for governor, Brad Little, uh, defeated uh, Janice McGeechan, uh, who uh, Trump backed. And in, in North Carolina, uh, Madison Cawthorn, who I don't know that that Trump got gave an endorsement. He had some nice things to say. I, I don't know that he actually uh, went so far as an endorsement of Madison Cawthorn. He said we should give him another chance. But uh, he, obviously his uh, baggage from his first term was too much to overcome. So there were a couple of races where the Trump influence did not play itself out. Well, that's right. And I think you ma- you mentioned the Madison Cawthorn example and also the uh uh, example in Idaho, where Brad Little 
won. Uh, he was the incumbent governor. What's interesting is that uh, if you take a look at sort of the scorecard, um, uh, Trump's uh, favorite candidates did not always win. But what's important to note is that Trump has moved the Republican Party to the hard right. And so even though his favorite candidates may not have won, uh, in the Republican primaries overall, the kinds of people that have the policies, espouse the policies of Trump, uh, pretty much won. It may not have been the people he favored, uh, but he has basically transformed the Republican Party into the Trumpist Party. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's the significant element, that the Republican Party has turned hard right, regardless of whether Trump endorses a particular winner or not. You know, uh, looking ahead a little bit, again, as we mentioned, the reason why uh, all of this is garnering so much attention is because of... uh, the control of Congress being uh, hanging in the balance. It's razor thin on in both houses, really, uh, for the uh, Democrats uh, right now, and Republicans are, are hoping to take back control of Congress. But if you look at the overall numbers, uh, the majority of the seats that are up for grabs are actually currently held by Republicans. So they actually have an interesting challenge in that they have to play defense in the uh, seats that they already hold. Uh, while also going on offense to pick up some seats here and there. Democrats, all they have to do is hold on to the ones they have, and they don't have as many to defend. That's right. Um, and that's uh, you've pointed out the advantages of both sides here. Of course, the political winds are not favorable to the Democrats right, right. now. Uh, but uh, in terms of the number of seats in the Senate now, uh, because the House, all the seats are up. But in the Senate, uh, there are more Republicans that have to uh, win re-election. Uh, and uh, and that's, uh, that's, a par- uh, that's a problem uh, for the Republican Party. The Democrats are hoping that that will work in their favors. They're also hoping uh, that candidates uh, that are supportive of Donald Trump, that either have embraced them or that Donald Trump has embraced, will remind voters of the 2020 election and therefore help the Democrats uh, maintain control of uh, the Senate and of the House. We'll have to wait and see whether that holds true. But certainly both parties have advantages, but both parties have problems as well. Don't forget there's also the abortion issue, which is going to activate a lot of people on both sides. And we don't quite yet know how that will play out as the election draws nearer. Yeah, that was the other question that I wanted to ask about. Everybody has been buzzing about that leaked draft of the uh, SCOTUS ruling that uh, could overturn Roe v. Wade. That decision expected next month, which obviously would be far enough in advance to uh, impact or influence uh, the uh, November race, what, if any, impact are we likely to see there, do you believe? Well, you know, right now, uh, what we have is uh, sort of academic. The situation is sort of academic. We believe the Supreme Court will overrule Roe versus Wade, but we don't really know. If, however, that actually happens, and it should, uh, that decision should come down uh, either in late June or early July, if that actually happens, that will actually change uh, rules on the ground for, um, for women across the country. And so that will have a huge impact. Right now, really, we're just debating an abstract concept. Right. Um, but once it actually happens, it will have a real impact. And it's a, a rare day when Supreme Court decisions have a huge impact on the ordinary lives of ordinary Americans. And so that will have uh, really co- big consequences, not just at the national level, but at the state level as to how people will react to that, because it will impact them it- very, very uh, importantly. Yeah, it, it, that is a, a good point that uh, should the court o- overturn Roe v. Wade, which I think most observers believe uh, they will, that would throw the decision back to the states. So that would influence not just the federal e- elections, but also those uh, elections at the state level, which maybe haven't seen as big of an impact from the abortion issue as uh, in previous years. So it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. Of course, obviously, uh, as we know, historically, Uh, The party in the White House does not do well in the midterms, especially uh, if things are not going well. And right now things are uh, not going well. Um, But as he has from the very beginning, Donald Trump is kind of the wild card and his influence in all of this is really the bottom line. 
Well, that's right. Uh, uh, the history certainly points that the incumbent party, uh, the uh, White House incumbent party, does uh, poorly in midterm elections. But there have been other elections where, you know, uh, ordinary events, current events, have impacted the, the outcome, and the incumbent party has done actually pretty well. And as you point out, Donald Trump is quite a surprising and very important event in American politics. And how he behaves and who he supports and how he supports uh, the candidates he likes uh, will certainly impact uh, the races of those candidates. And so it's hard to predict. But going into a midterm election, the incumbent party always, uh, or nearly always, not always, but nearly always uh, yeah. does poorly. And that's a worrisome uh, sign for the Democrats as well. It will be very interesting to see how it all plays out moving forward. Again, Alan Sanders is a former Time Magazine senior reporter, professor emeritus of political science at St. Peter's University in Jersey City, New Jersey. Alan, thanks very much for uh, taking the time, uh, providing your insight. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Chris. Take care. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. First of all, a follow-up to the story we had yesterday. Uh, police in Arkansas have arrested a suspect for shooting at the Kingsland Water Tower. You remember the story about that well-placed bullet hole that caused a leak in more ways than one as it made it appear that a silhouette of the legendary Johnny Cash was born in Kingsland, Arkansas. That's why they have a silhouette of uh, Johnny Cash on their water tower. The well-placed bullet hole uh, made it uh, appear that he was uh, taking a leak off the side. <laughs> well, they have now arrested their culprit. Um, officials say the uh, tower was, uh, it doesn't say, uh, doesn't give his name, the uh, suspect uh, that has been arrested. Uh, but they, you remember yesterday, they could face felony charges for this. The water tower had to be drained uh, so that the damage can be repaired, uh, they figure that's going to cost somewhere around five grand, plus all of the water that they had to uh, to drain. So, uh, but they do have their man. So. Mystery has been solved. Also, uh, in the broken news, a woman in Wichita, Kansas, uh, has been arrested after uh, video was uh, released showing her uh, defecating uh, at the. Uh, uh, at a beauty supply store. <laughs> Police say the uh, woman entered the store on May 10th and allegedly did her business right in the middle of one of the aisles. Uh, investigators have finally located the culprit and uh, they said they posted on uh, Facebook that uh, they have arrested so-called public enemy number two. You get that public enemy number two. They say... Eight wigs were destroyed during the incident. <laughs> Eight wigs were destroyed during the incident. I don't know how, but uh, anyway. Uh, let's see here. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, a, a driver in Rochester, Minnesota, attempting to outrace police, ended up catching himself. <laughs> the, the woman behind the wheel, who was driving erratically and using a bullhorn to yell at people, uh, police spotted her and a chase ensued. Uh, officer tried pulling over the driver, but she, uh, tried to get away. Unfortunately, it was a, a very short chase as she drove right into some freshly poured concrete <laughs> and promptly got stuck, <laughs> tried to get away, drove right into some wet cement. Um, the woman was taken to the hospital for a mental health evaluation but she does face uh, several charges. It says here. So. <laughs> uh, speaking of crazy things that you see on the roads, um, cops have all kinds of stories. Utah police arrested a suspected drunk driver after this individual drove their car off the interstate and got stuck in a tree. <laughs> What's that car doing in the tree? It's not something you see every day. Pleasant officers in Pre Pleasant Grove, Utah say the driver lost control just after midnight, flew off a highway ramp, and landed in some trees next to the road. <laughs> car got stuck in the branches, but fortunately did not hit any other vehicles. Uh, let's see. A South Carolina woman is in trouble with the law after writing a bad check for more than $98,000. 
while trying to buy a car. <laughs> Bought a car with a bad check. The uh, Sumter Cali- County Sheriff's Office says Felicia Lyles wrote a check with insufficient funds to purchase a brand new Ford from a local car dealership. She was arrested and charged with obtaining property by false pretenses. Uh, Police say that Ms. Lyles kept the car even after she was sent an official notice and given time to fix the error. That is one trusting car dealership. You just walk in and write a personal check for $98,000 and drive off the lot. Man. Uh, I bet that dealership is not going to be doing that again anytime soon. And I know she won't be. I can't believe I was short some funds. (laughs) $98,000 check. Um, this is an unusual theft. Um, a little bit of karma going on here. 16 statues that a group of thieves made off with last week in India ended up being less of a haul and more of a curse. Uh, This is according to the alleged criminals themselves. Uh, International news reports are that the idols had been carried off from a centuries-old Hindu temple um, on Monday night, reportedly within six days of the theft, all but two of the statues had been returned, dropped off near the home of the temple's chief priest, along with an explanatory note, We have not been able to sleep, eat, or live peacefully ever since we stole these statues. Uh, The uh, thieves write, we are fed up with these scary dreams and are thus returning your valuables. (laughs) Uh, The uh, police say the note did request forgiveness. The Times of India reports the idols were made of silver, brass, copper. One was made of a compound of eight metals, including gold. No word on the identity of the thieves or the whereabouts of the two as-yet-unreturned statues. <laughs> A little bit of karma there going on. Sent the statues back. And finally, in the broken news this morning, how about this news? Visitors to an annual corn maze in Godfrey, Illinois, will not be walking through a field of corn stalks this fall. Instead... The Great Godfrey, Great Godfrey Corn Maze will be cut into a field of hemp. The, uh, board, the village board approved the change after last year's corn crop did not grow tall enough to be able to put on the popular annual fall event. This is in Godfrey, Illinois, outside of St. Louis. Uh, crews are set to begin preparing the field for the hemp maze in the next few weeks. That should do wonders for attendance. (laughs) People go in and why isn't anybody coming out? (laughs) They're just... Nobody seems to be uh, interested in finding their way out of the maze again. Uh, There there you go. Uh, That is uh, today's broken news report. Uh, This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less. Of Hancock County Veterans Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. This is Ed Blentz with OSU Extension. It's planning season. Drivers will be sharing roads with tractors and farm machinery. Be alert for slow-moving vehicles, especially on roads of limited visibility. Watch out for equipment pulling in and out of fields. Drivers and farmers, let's work together this spring to keep our roads safe and accident-free. This message from WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. This is probably not that big of a surprise that uh, after a long, hard, stressful day, most of us choose to relax by plopping down and watching some TV. Uh, A new poll of 2,000 American adults uh, finds that Uh, In order to relieve anxiety and stress after a tough day, uh, 42% say they take a relaxing bath. 33% will do yoga. But 55% of Americans say they watch TV as a self-soothing technique after a rough day. 55%. So, what are we watching? This is where it gets interesting. 56% purposely seek out comfort programming, familiar TV shows and movies that they watch just to wind down. Things that they have likely seen before, but they know 
they can just kind of veg out. One in five favor dramas, either historical movies or shows, crime procedurals like Law and Order, or doctor shows like Grey's Anatomy when they are stressed out. Millennials were found to prefer drama de-stressors. Baby boomers, however, opt for comedy more often than not. Uh, 19% of Gen Xers, those between age 42 and 57, uh, prefer disaster shows or disaster movies, mysteries and thrillers, even horror movies. Scary movies to relax, but that's what Gen X says. 22% of those polled turn to their comfort programming when they're bored. 20% when they're anxious. And on average, they say they have watched the same comforting content 18 different times. <laughs> so again, I you know, I do that. I do that all the time. I'll uh, go on, you know, we have all the streaming services and everything. I go poking around looking for something to watch. And the, the previews all sound interesting. But in the end, I always go back to something that I've seen before, something that I know uh, and I can count on, I guess. And maybe that's why. We're just, I'm just not uh, as adventurous in, in seeking out new stuff. And apparently I'm not alone on that. Kind of interesting. You know, the American Cancer Society estimates that more than 600,000 Americans will die of the disease in all its forms this year. That is roughly 1,600 per day. You know, just about everybody has been touched by cancer in some way, but it is still truly staggering to think about it in those terms. But providing help and hope to those who are dealing with cancer is something we can all take part in. MasterCard and the nonprofit organization Stand Up to Cancer have teamed up to share their mission and educate folks on what they can do uh, for those uh, in the battle. Rusty Robertson is co-founder of Stand Up to Cancer, joins us this morning. Tell us a little bit about your organization and what you do. Hi. Uh, well, I'm a founder, and uh, and Stand Up to Cancer um, was uh, actually founded in 2008, and our mission at that time was to raise funds to accelerate uh, the pace of research and to get new therapies to patients as quickly as we could, and, and obviously to save lives. Two of the nine women that started Stand Up to Cancer had cancer. Unfortunately, we've lost them. And we realized that we needed to find why. Why was this happening? And we did. We found out that scientists and researchers from one floor to another in a hospital were not sharing. Hmm. They were not collaborating. And that was because of either publishing or IP, but they were not sharing. And that was what's slowing up getting and to, to, there was no way to accelerate the therapies. So throughout our generous support of donors, we have been able to get the word out to people about Stand Up to Cancer. And, uh, and we now have 2,000 uh, scientists, and we have dream teams, and it's all across um, all cancers. And we are doing what our mission had said, but we need to do more. We need to do more. Now, your organization has a longstanding partnership with MasterCard. Talk a little bit about this new initiative. Yes, you know, for the last 10 years, we've been blessed with the corporation of MasterCard because they really, they really do what they say they're going to do, and they really care. And uh, we're very, very lucky, so I have to say thank you to them as many times as I can. But they have come up with a very interesting campaign for the last 10 years. started with dining, and uh, they, all, they have a wonderful cause marketing spot, which I have not actually talked about this morning, and mm -hmm. I should. Yeah. Uh, Sterling K. Brown is in it, and it's fantastic. And I, I have to do a, I have to do a, you know, a shout-out to him as well. But the, what, they, what they have done is so perfect. For an organization that is, that that is is devoted to get, getting rid of cancer, or and and it is this: um, when you use your Mastercard this year in grocery stores, when you dine out, when you dine in, when you tap and go, 
one pet, one really precious cent, and I know that sounds, what do you mean a cent, mm-hmm. will turn into $5 million by July 15th. Why? Because it does, because it's MasterCard. And what they are doing is they're saying, just use your card and we will donate for you. So I really, you know, it's almost like it's a gift. It's a gift to, it's, it's yeah. a gift for, you know, to stand up because they are actually doing uh, the donating. And this, in this 10th year, um, you know, and being over $60 million, we can, I can't say louder or more to please, please, please use your MasterCard when you're at the grocery store, you know, and especially dining in or dining out. Yeah. Talk about the significance of uh, that particular type of spending, the groceries, dining out, that kind of thing. Why is that so significant? Well, I think, first of all, it's significant because without that money, we would not be able to do the science that we do, mm-hmm. obviously. Right. Uh, you know, unfortunately, if you ask anybody how do you get rid of cancer, they're going to have to actually say dollars, dollars, and the right scientists. We've been blessed to have the right scientists, and we have a wonderful sci- scientific um, uh, council, and they really have, have done something really special. As a matter of fact, in the very beginning, in 2008, we actually uh, sent out for ideas all over the world and that's how we came up with our dream teams. And, uh, and they are, we, we have a really rigid, uh, you know, re- relationship with, the, with, the, with, with each of the dream teams. As a matter of fact, every six months, uh, we can, you know, you know, uh, you know the, top, the top scientists go and make certain that everybody is staying on track. And because of that, we have over nine FDA approvals in less than 10 years. And, you know, that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. All of this wouldn't happen if we weren't, didn't have a MasterCard. All of this wouldn't happen if we didn't have money or an organization that knows how to reach out to their cardholders the way they do. They also give us the opportunity to share with you today. Yeah. Because that's the only way people are going to understand what is the difference with Stand Up to Cancer. Well, it's all cancers, and we are, and we created dream teams. We, we, we mandated that they speak together, and that is accelerating all of the therapies, and there are people that are actually getting these therapies quickly. And so it, it, it's, it's, really, it's, it's, it's really just that, you know, it, it takes the money, it takes the right science, and it takes the right bravery of, uh, of all of these uh, yeah, all all of the people that work and all the people that we're we're trying to to make everybody diagnosed a survivor. And, and it is so simple to help because you know obviously we all got to eat, so uh, this is a, a really easy way to make a huge difference. Uh, again, through Mastercard with Stand Up to Cancer, uh, co-founder uh, Rusty Robertson is uh, with us this morning. Uh, you uh, have a lot more information on the work that you do. And how you are making a difference on your website. Where can folks go to learn more about Stand Up to Cancer and about this initiative? Please go to SU2C, standuptocancer.org. And please come and read about it. Let us introduce our, our scientists to you. Let us introduce some of the most wonderful uh, uh, science and be a part of it because that really matters to us doing great work and truly making a difference. Rusty, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about everything we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. You can go to goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow, something you won't want to miss to wrap up the week. You remember the story of the Oregon high school football coach who disarmed a would-be shooter with a hug? Well, now Keenan Lowe has written a new book about his experience as a hometown hero. He'll join us to talk about it. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.